Hello and welcome to Nutmeg Book Drops, Elementary Edition. This podcast is brought to you by Librarians Connect, a group of public and school librarians from throughout the state of Connecticut. Find us online at bit.ly slash librariansconnect. On each episode, we will be discussing one or more of the 2023 Elementary Nutmeg Book Award nominees. You can check these out from your local library. On this episode, we are delighted to talk with Helena Kuri, the author of The Paper Kingdom. Random House published her book, and it's a 2023 Nutmeg Elementary nominee. Hello, Nutmeg listeners. I'm Maureen Schlosser, a former school librarian and classroom educator. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. I'm Helena Kuri. I'm an author based in Los Angeles. And I am Christina O'Neill, a library media specialist at Longmeadow Elementary School in Middlebury, Connecticut. The first question we have for you today, Helena, is from a nutmeg reader who attends the Rockwell School. They want to know why you wrote The Paper Kingdom. That is an amazing question because it goes to the heart of why I write. And one of the reasons I wrote this story is because I wanted to put a spotlight on the types of people who are normally invisible in our society, the types of people that you normally don't see featured in picture books. Families like my family who worked, my parents worked as night janitors and they took me to work with them because they couldn't afford a babysitter. So that's a pretty unusual childhood. So I wanted to put a spotlight on that. How can our nutmeg listeners chip in and prepare a classroom or a cafeteria for nighttime cleaning? Oh, yeah. So this is something I thought a lot about because, you know, a lot of times people walk by things not even noticing. So take the time to look around sometimes. And if you see a napkin that's been bunched up and it's on the floor, pick it up maybe just to help out a little bit. There's a saying that says, leave every place you go to a little bit better than you found it. So maybe make it a little bit neater, a little bit tidier. And one person in the past asked me, well, if everybody pitches in and cleans up a little bit, then the janitors won't have anything to do. They won't have a job anymore. But actually there's so much more cleaning to do. There's the mopping and the vacuuming and wiping down the windows. So you picking up a napkin that you find on the floor is just the tip of the iceberg of what they need to do. Thank you, that's really good advice. In the story, Daniel plans to be a king someday so he can make sure everyone in his kingdom cleans up after themselves. I read on your website that you work in the movie industry. I imagine you share a studio space with other people. How do you encourage coworkers to take care of their messes? Oh, that's a good question because, you know, it can be a little bit delicate to tell somebody what to do, to give them advice about how to live their lives. So I try to just set a good example because uh, my parents worked as night janitors. I'm particularly aware of messes, as you can imagine. So if somebody at my work office has spilled a little bit of coffee near the sink in the kitchen, or if they leave behind an empty paper cup, I'll go ahead and clean it up. And sometimes there are other people in the kitchen who observe me cleaning up messes that are not my own. So I try to lead a little bit by example, rather than nagging my coworkers too much. (laughs) 
Thank you. That'll help our nutmeg listeners because I imagine if they see their friends leaving a mess, they're probably wondering, do I tell them to clean up or what do I do? So thank you for that advice. Yeah, sure. No problem. And sometimes it can be a little bit hard to just mind my own business, quite frankly, especially with my nieces and nephews, for instance, if they leave a little bit of a mess, I'll say something and say, hey, do you mind uh, wiping that down? But with my coworkers, it can be a little bit tricky simply because adults telling other adults what to do, mm, that can be a little bit sticky. Yes, it can. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have a lot of signs hanging up around our workspaces. <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another question from a student. Uh, a learner from Sharon Center School wonders what you imagine the king in your story looks like. Ooh. So I always imagined the king to have a beard. And since I hint in the story that it's the bedtime for the king and the queen, I imagine the king and the queen in their nightgowns, long robes that are nightgowns. But of course, you never see them in the story. So this is all just in my imagination. You know, I, I always imagine because the king and the queen are supposed to be the bosses of the office, that maybe they might look a little grumpy you know, maybe a little bit scary. So that's the way I imagine them. Thank you. It'd be interesting to hear what our readers, how they imagine the king and the queen. Absolutely. Now this kind of goes along with what we were just talking about. A nutmeg reader from Hurlbut Elementary School wonders if you could answer a question about the illustrations. They notice that the dragons are the only fantasy characters that were illustrated. Do you know why that was? I love this question because it's a question I've never heard before. So I can tell that this reader is really observant and really studying the story. So I love it. Thank you for that question. So the way that the illustrations happen is that the publisher, who is the company that creates the books, they hire the illustrator. And so they hired Pascal Campion because he's pretty famous for his nighttime images. He makes images for a lot of magazines like The New Yorker. And since my story takes place at night, they hired him. And at at a certain point, I'm sure that Pascal and I had a question about how the illustration should appear. And, And I'm pretty certain that I told him that my favorite mythical creature actually is the dragon, which is why I put dragons in my story. Now, for that reason, Pascal put little dragons here and there inside the story. And why he chose not to show any hints of the king and queen, I'm not sure. That was entirely his choice. But I think it's a really cool choice because now the readers can just imagine the king and queen in their own heads, you know? So that's a pretty cool thing. Um, Another nutmeg reader who had a question about illustrations wondered where this story takes place. So the story, my story at least, takes place in Los Angeles because that's where I grew up. And there's a building um, uh, on a street called Wilshire Boulevard. It's one of the main streets in LA. That's where the original building was located that my parents cleaned. But honestly, this story is about the power of imagination. So you can imagine the building to be anywhere in the world. You can imagine it to be in New York or Connecticut or Maryland. Literally, it can be anywhere. And what's fascinating about the book is that the illustrations obviously are a result of Pascal's imagination. So there's an image of the building in the book and the building looks a little scary 
And the actual building that my parents cleaned does not look like that building. The actual building that my parents cleaned had like black glass everywhere. And it was about six or seven stories high. And my parents were responsible for cleaning the third and fourth floors. There were other night janitors who came to the building to clean the other floors, but my parents cleaned floors three and four. So I thought it was so cool when I saw the illustrations because I could see what kind of building Pascal imagined in his mind. And what's really neat about picture books is that they're 50% the author's creation, me, and they're 50% the illustrator's uh, creation. So it's really a partnership and a collaboration, bringing both of our imaginations together to create what I think is a work of art. It definitely is a work of art. How much collaboration did you guys have on this book? Did you have a lot of time to talk to Pascal or go back and forth with him through email? Yeah, that's an interesting question because usually the author and illustrator are supposed to have no contact. And the reason is because the publisher purchased my story and then they hire the artist and they want each of us to do our own part. And the issue I've heard that a lot of picture book illustrator and authors run into is that sometimes the author has very strong opinions about what the artwork should look like. And so the publisher wants the illustrator to do his or her own part without the author constantly butting in and giving opinions. And so normally that's a process. However, Pascal and I actually became friends through social media, through Instagram, because I started following him and I told him, I wrote to him and I said, I'm so excited that you're illustrating the paper kingdom. And so he reached out to me in turn and said, Helena, I want to send you some preliminary sketches. Would that be okay? And I said, sure. So we told our publisher that we're becoming friends on the side. Is that okay? And they were okay with that. And so we actually communicated pretty frequently about the book. And what's really neat is that Pascal also lives near Los Angeles. So we met up a couple times to talk about the book. So I thought that was really fun. Imagination plays a big role in the paper kingdom. What is the most important thing you want our listeners to know about the power of imagination? Yes. So imagination is probably the number one tool for a writer because the stories come out of your imagination. And what I want the listeners to know is that everyone has a powerful imagination You just have to know how to tap into it. What's so cool about the imagination is that it can really change your life. For example, if the day is gray and rainy and you're bored, stuck inside, you can use your imagination to have fun. That's what I used to do when I was a kid. I used to imagine on days when I couldn't go outside, I used to imagine that I was in a castle or even if I had pancakes for breakfast, I would imagine that there was amazing chocolate syrup on it or something to make it even more exciting for myself. So imagination is probably the number one tool that you can rely on if you want to become a writer or even an illustrator. I gather that you learned this from your parents because your parents in the book, at least, seem to use their imagination a lot to get you into the fun of cleaning an office building. Yes, absolutely. My parents uh, both encouraged me to use my imagination and they were very creative too. They told me really funny stories about the people who worked in the offices and they would entertain me by telling me, oh, you know what? You should be a little quiet because I heard that there are 
a bunch of frogs down the hallway. I don't know why my mom <laughs> told me all these stories about frogs, but she had many stories about frogs hiding in the hallways. They would tell me all these stories. And I think that really uh, helped me to exercise my imagination and probably inspired me to become a writer, you know, because I was constantly imagining stories about the office building and about the people who lived there. I understand that you and your family emigrated from South Korea. When you arrived in America, did you already know how to speak English? And if not, how did learning a new language impact you as a reader in elementary school? So my parents and I came to the U.S. when I was almost two. So to be honest, I probably couldn't speak any language very well at that point. But I grew up speaking both Korean and English, but mostly Korean. And then it was really at the start of kindergarten where I learned English and I learned it very, very quickly because, you know, children's minds are like sponges. And I was so interested in everything around me. I've always had a very curious mind. And so I have always enjoyed learning new languages. And so I think learning the language came pretty quickly to me, thankfully. And I think that it can be a real challenge for people who immigrate to new countries, because honestly, learning the language is a key, a key to fitting in, a key to feeling at home in a new country. So my parents actually struggled with that. They still don't speak English completely fluently, but thanks to watching a lot of American shows, a lot of American movies, they feel a lot more at home in the US now than they ever did when we first immigrated and they could hardly speak English at all. Yeah, I can imagine how challenging that would be. Yes, it is challenging. And what's also challenging as a child of immigrants is that, you know, every time I step out of my house, I speak pretty much 100% English. But as soon as I step into my house, I speak pretty much 100% Korean. And so it's like using two different parts of your brain. And sometimes it all gets scrambled up. So it's called Konglish when you speak both Korean and English and you just interchange words all together. That's probably what I speak most fluently, Konglish. <laughs> well, that's the first yeah. time I've heard of that. I gather from the biography on your website that you love to learn. You went to school to become a lawyer, and then you went back to school to become a writer. Our listeners know that sometimes learning new things can be really hard. How did you persevere when schoolwork was tough? Oh, yeah. Schoolwork can be so tough. And sometimes there's so much homework to do. Fortunately, as I mentioned to you before, I've always been a very curious person and I do love to learn. I have so many questions about the universe and about our world. And so I'm always I'm still learning, even though I'm no longer a student. I still watch a lot of courses online and I just really enjoy the learning process. But I do remember sometimes I'd have so much homework, so many exams to get ready for, and I know it can be so tough for students. So the one word of advice I would have is don't get overwhelmed. Don't get too nervous because you take it step by step. Just focus on one little thing at a time. And sooner or later, you're going to have fewer and fewer things to do. And then you can just check off things off your list and just take it one step at a time, little piece by little piece. That's the way I normally do things when I have a huge list of stuff to do. That's really great advice for all listeners. Thank you very much. Yeah, sure. Your story is so important. 
Some readers may learn for the first time that people work at night. Others will connect with the story because their parents work while they sleep. What do you want readers to learn from this story? That is a wonderful question and probably why I wrote the book. I wanted my readers to know that there are people like night janitors who are very important members of our community. And so let's all be respectful and let's all be aware that the spaces that we live in or that we work in or go to school in, somebody has to look over those spaces. Somebody has to clean them. So just to be respectful of everything from the floor to the walls to your desk, also that all of us are important members of the community. No matter how young you are, how old you are, no matter what you do, you're an essential part of what makes these societies and our neighborhoods work. So uh, be happy about that. Be happy about the unique way you're made because everybody has something great to offer. So focus on what makes you unique, what makes you special, and that is your gift to the world. As we close the interview, what would you like our Nutmeg listeners to know about reading? Oh, reading. I love reading. Reading is one of my favorite activities to do, and reading truly changed my life. Reading is what made me become a writer, because in order to be a good writer, you have to love books, because that's where you get inspiration. That's where you learn how to write stories. And so reading is powerful because you can travel to different worlds. You can travel in, into different people's lives through reading. It's an amazing, amazing gift. And you can even travel to the past. For example, some of the books I love to read were written by people who died 200, 300 years ago. And when I read them, I'm immediately in their lives. How cool is that? So it's almost like people from the past are speaking to me. I think that is such a cool and amazing aspect of being human. We can read books and we can become other people almost. So true. We can go on adventures. We can live in other people's shoes. We can experience things. That's really a great message. Yeah, it's such a cool thing to do, which is why I love to read every night before I go to sleep. Well, thank you so much for writing a book that gives readers more information about the world around them and the people that live in it. We really appreciate you visiting with us today and giving our listeners something really wonderful to read. They're just going to love The Paper Kingdom, and we are so thankful that you wrote the book. Thank you so much. This was such a fun interview, and I'm so grateful that you've read The Paper Kingdom and that you nominated it, too. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Helena. Great to meet you. Great to meet you too. That's it for this week's episode of Nutmeg Book Drops Elementary Edition. You can find out more about our podcast at our website, bit.ly slash librariansconnect. Subscribe to our podcast to be notified when the next episode drops. Thanks so much for listening.